welcome to the summer of love. Um, I just love saying it. Isn't it awesome? The summer of love. Um, who would have thought we'd go back there? I remember uh, my parents were, somebody asked me about my parents, were they saved when they named me? And I said, no, they were not saved. They were uh, cowboy hippies, if there was a thing, right? I mean, you had hippies, and then you had people who were um, in West Texas, southern New Mexico, and they were kind of hippies, but cowboys at the same time. I don't know, because they wore cowboy hats, but, you know, peace and love and all that. Um, whenever they named me, they had heard the name Calvary, interesting story. They had heard that word somewhere and um, decided that they would name me that because they thought it was a pretty name, and they did not know who Jesus was at the time. So pretty cool. That's how my name came to be. And uh, oh man, it's an interesting time that we live in. But the summer of love, I'm, I'm super excited about it. I'm I'm excited to be talking about love. Love is, in the Christian world, one of my very all-time absolute favorite things because I think that love is going to be what fixes this world. And um, if anything were to fix it, it's going to be love. We're a few weeks into our summer theme of this focus on love. We started a couple of weeks ago on John 3.16. If you remember, I thought, why not start with the most, arguably, the most famous of all the verses, all the scripture that there is, John 3.16. See, God has shown us, and I think this is important, God has shown us how to love. The way that he loves us is how he has asked us to love others. And if our country is going to get out of the funk that it's in, I believe it will require Christians like us to unite and to love others. Without that, we don't have a hope. It's going to require love. The last week we talked about a new command that Jesus gave, and I've always found it very interesting. Jesus was, uh, if, if you read the scriptures, the stories of Jesus, with a uh, kind of an open mind and, and imagine him just as a man walking around, he was an interesting guy because he was not scared to rock the boat a little bit, you know? And he knew that if, as long as he was on a righteous path, which he always was, then the things that he said, the things that he taught, the places he was going was where he needed to go. And, and um, he was just going to do what God had brought him here and what he wanted to accomplish. And I say all that because he gave a new command, which we learned last week is uh, very interesting that he would do that because they already had their commands. And his new command was to love one another. He introduced this and he lived a new way to love. It was a new kind of love, a love that they haven't experienced before, loving one another with a love that gave self. See, because before you were to love your neighbor as you loved yourself. That was kind of the Old Testament way of loving, to love somebody the way you love me, because I love me a lot. <laughs> right? You guys, you're all like, yeah, I like myself quite a bit. So that's how we should love others. But Jesus came and he changed it. And he said, this is how you should love, with a love that gives self, with a love that seeks the best for others, with a love that is willing to do, to give your life. That's the way that we should love. And that is, and you'll hear me say this a lot, that is an uncommon love because people don't love that way uh, in general. Just without God in our lives, it's, it's impossible to love somebody uncommonly. So... Um, Scripture very plainly teaches that God is love, right? We, we can say that, and we've said that uh, quite a bit. God is love. Who is God? He's love, man. 
He's just, he is the embodiment, the, his, his person is love. And so one of the things that I wrestled with for a while was how do I reconcile the conviction that I feel by the Spirit when He begins to search me and probe me and call me to a deeper walk? I, I feel convicted. And, and why is that? Is that because God's mean and He's, you know, kind of striking me every time that I have done something wrong and this power of conviction? How do I reconcile that conviction with the idea that God is love? I think that, and I don't want to get, this isn't what I want to talk about today, but I, I want to be careful that we don't begin to mix some of those ideas that we have about God with the fact that He is love. If we're not careful, we'll begin to let it be about what we feel Right? What we feel is wrong or, or the, the emotions we have when God convicts us, we'll, we'll let it become about that. And, and we can't live our relationship with God based on, and I want to be careful how I say this, don't misunderstand me. We've, we can't live our relationship with God based on doing the things so we can escape conviction, Right? We, we need to have this relationship with the God of love, and out of that love is born a right relationship with Him where we do the things He wants anyway. We've got to be real careful there. So uh, it's got to be about how much God loves us. That's what it's got to be. All right, so I heard a story about a, a big wedding. This big wedding, and they had a reception, and it was well attended. Then came the honeymoon, and the couple went away to the honeymoon. They unpacked their bags. They were getting everything ready, um, and the husband uh, took the bride by the hand, and he sat her on the bed real lovingly, and, and he said, Honey, I hope you don't mind, but now that we're married, I, I thought I would talk to you about a few of the little defects that I've noticed with you. She says, Oh, not at all, very sweetly. She says, it was those little defects that kept me from getting a better husband. <laughs> yeah, some of you. I hope you're laughing at home, too. That was good. So, you know, it's a universal truth. Men, husbands, cannot tell their wives what they think is wrong with them. And for the sake of argument, women really shouldn't tell husbands what they think is wrong either. A husband who truly loves his wife isn't going to make fun of her. He doesn't point out her weaknesses and her drawbacks. And, of course, you have husbands who shouldn't be pointing out the wife's drawbacks as well. It, it becomes about a, a healthy, true love for each other. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. It says this, uh, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And I love that. If you want to know what love is, get into that. And by the way, as we go through today's message, the notes are in the Bible app. You can find them in the live event of the Bible app or download the church's app, the, the Lantana Church app, and the notes will be in there as well. You know, that's what true love is all about, and that's what the Bible tells us. But God doesn't just talk about love. 
He doesn't just explain love. He gives us an example of true love. And this is Ephesians chapter 5 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. This is why it's important to get into the scriptures. And not only are the scriptures the word of God, but God can still speak to you today, and that will cleanse your heart. That he might present it to himself, talking about the, uh, the bride of Christ, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it, that should be holy and without blemish. Jesus is the ultimate example of that kind of love. Because Jesus is the ultimate example of how a husband ought to love a wife, willing to give all. Jesus is the perfect husband, and he's the husband of a wondrous bride, a bride called the church. And Jesus loves the church. This is the point. This isn't about marriages today. It's about how much Jesus loves us. And he loves the church with a perfect, wondrous love. In fact, it's so awesome and so magnificent and so wondrous, we're spending the summer talking about it. Jesus sets for us an example of how love should be done. And by his example, Jesus showed us that the most important thing on his mind was that the bride, the church, would be taken care of. Man, I've got to get better at these introductions because we're just now getting through the introduction. It's crazy, right? G- G- I-, I-, I love, thanks for that, uh, f- for that witness there. I just am um, emphatic about the, the way that Jesus loved us, about who he is and, and what he's given for us and what he calls us to be and the type of relationship he wants us to have with each other. So I'm gonna, we're going to read a scripture today, and it's, it's going to be lengthy, but it's a great story about Jesus and his disciples at the end of John. It's in John chapter 21. Probably many of you have heard this before. John chapter 21, starting with verse 1. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. So right there, fishing all night, they caught nothing. So um, early in the morning, verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. They didn't recognize him. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals where the fish, um, there with fish on it, and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragging the net ashore, 
it was a full it was full of large fish but even uh, 153 but even with so many the net was not torn that's another miracle in itself Jesus said to them come and have breakfast none of the disciples dared to ask him who are you they knew it was the lord Jesus came took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead when they had gone when they had finished eating Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Okay, so the focus today is going to be Jesus and uh, Peter's interaction. But I want to kind of set us up there before, you know, set up the scripture as we get there. Peter is the first one to say that I'm going fishing. Now, imagine that Jesus had uh, died. He'd been raised again. They didn't quite know what the thing was yet that was going to happen. Jesus was uh, appearing to different people during this time. So they, they just didn't know what to do. And so they said they're going to go fishing. Um, a lot has been made about this in the past. As I've studied and researched this, um, you know, it used to, people used to say quite often, in fact, I heard, grew up hearing this, that perhaps Peter was saying, I'm done with all this. I'm just going to go back and go fishing. As I've really studied and read this, I don't think that's the case. I think that basically they were hungry, they were fishermen, they were going to go fishing. So, so then they're out fishing in the boat, right? And the sun's beginning to come up and, and uh, they see someone on the shore. And, and Jesus kind of enters the picture here again, if we imagine this, written as a story like a, you know, that we might read. So here Jesus enters the scene and he's standing on the shore, but the disciples don't recognize him. Now, again, I don't think you should make too much of that, that they didn't recognize him. I don't know if you've ever been up when the sun is coming up, but right before the sun comes up, it's, it's crazy. You don't really can't see things clearly, and I imagine that's partly what was going on. Um, second, there probably was something about the resurrected Jesus that was hard to, to visualize, to see, that... To, to see who he was because um, there were other times, you remember the road to Emmaus, he walked with the guys for a while. They didn't even know who he was. There's been speculation that because he had been beaten so badly his, that his uh, form had changed, we just don't know. Or he also, we know the resurrected Jesus could walk through walls. Maybe it was his glorified body and they didn't quite recognize who he was. So we don't want to make a lot that they couldn't recognize him, at least not immediately. And then interesting the way Jesus asked the questions. He says, friends, haven't you any fish? He asks it in the negative. But the way he uses it, first of all, Jesus being God, and especially now having been raised from the dead through his life as a human, we've talked about that in Scripture teaches that he put his divinity aside, right? He was God, but he didn't use his divinity. He, would, he wanted to be fully human. Now that's not the case. So he is God. Like they're together, they are the same, and he knows how many fish they've caught. 
So he, he asks in the negative, haven't you any fish? And, and the word he used, friends, this probably helps them to identify Jesus. It's very endearing. It, it's, it was like he would say, uh, hey boys, or lads, if you were from somewhere in Europe. Have, don't you have any fish? Hey guys. Like it was, it was an endearing term to them, right? And that probably led to them... Um, the recognition of Jesus. So Jesus says to them, throw, throw your net on the other side. Actually, he says, throw your net on the right side. Very specific. Throw your net on the right side. And again, it's just crazy that they would listen to him. Like, we're talking about professional fishermen. This is what they do. This is what they grew up doing. I don't know if you've ever been fishing, but if you've been fishing and you think you know what you're doing, you don't listen to anybody else. You're like, no, you're not going to tell me how to do this. I know what to do. I know how to fish. Who do you think you are? So you got a boat full of professional fishermen, some crazy guy standing on the shore. They haven't recognized him yet, throwing that on the other side. But, but they go ahead and do it, right? And then they caught so many fish, they couldn't pull it in. After the catch of fish, the beloved disciple, and this is interesting in, throughout John, if you read John, it starts off, the, the Gospel of John, he starts off, it, it begins by calling him in the beginning um, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And then as it goes, the terms for John become more and more endearing as it goes on until it becomes in the very end, like he is the disciple Jesus loved the most. Um, John must have wrote the book. <laughs> again, again, it's okay to laugh, guys. You know, it's fine. All right, so uh, after the resurrection... That was not a dad joke either, by the way. <laughs> After the resurrection, uh, they always refer to him as the Lord. It's, it's just another interesting thing. Jesus raised from the dead. They refer to him as the Lord. All right. So Peter, who had, I mean, I guess it's what they did. Like he's, he had stripped down to his loincloth. He's just out lounging on the boat, getting some sun, fishing, I guess. I'm not sure. Um, but it would have been in, inappropriate for him to meet a teacher uh, it would have been disrespectful without a cloak on because I always thought it was interesting that it says he put his cloak back on. He grabbed his cloak and then jumped in the water. I mean, if I'm jumping in the water, I'm not putting more clothes on. But he, he did in this case because it would have been inappropriate to meet Jesus as a religious leader. This is one thing, and, and this is a whole other sermon, and we'll talk about this at a different time probably, but can you imagine... And if you will, you can, you can imagine your world's been turned upside down. Things are a little bit crazy. You hear these rumors that Jesus is, is alive. You've seen him with your eyes, but do you really believe it? He's not hanging out with you like he did before. Like, this is kind of crazy. And then Peter on the boat sees Jesus so far away. And he got so anxious to be with him that he just jumped out of the boat. Like, he, he wasn't waiting. Like you guys just caught all Nothing mattered to Peter. The fish that they had just caught didn't matter. The boat, it didn't matter. You guys cannot row to meet my Jesus as quickly as I can get there. I think it's sometimes in our life, we have to tell ourselves, get out of the boat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, quit waiting on things. Quit taking the slow route. Quit doing things in, in a in such a slow and kind of a way. When it comes to Jesus, do we want him bad enough to just jump out of the boat? 
to just jump out and go get them? Are we that hungry for Jesus? Will we jump into the water when nobody else does? It's one of the reasons I love Peter. He's of the disciples. He's my favorite because, like, I find that I have similarities to him. Sometimes I say things I shouldn't. Sometimes I do things that are dumb. But Jesus is always welcoming him back and me. But I, I love that Peter just didn't wait. He was like, whatever, you guys, y'all stay and play with these fish if you want. I'm going to see Jesus. Like I see him right over there. I'm going after him. And Jesus says as they come in, hey, get some of the fish and bring it over here. He already had some fish. He was cooking them. He said, bring some of those fish. We got a bunch of them, 153 fish. Interesting that they would put the number. I could find no significance. Maybe um, it is nothing more than to give evidence that the person who wrote this was an eyewitness, which is pretty cool. It didn't just say a bunch of fish. It says 153. So they have breakfast with him. They didn't want to ask him who he was. They, you know, and this is another thing. They, they didn't quite recognize him. Like, we think it's Jesus. He's talking to us like Jesus. I, I'm pretty sure he's Jesus. But they didn't want to ask because they said they knew it was Jesus. And then this gets to one of the most famous interactions of Jesus in, in the Scriptures. I mean, you guys have heard this probably innumerable times. Jesus asking Peter three times if he loved him. You know, a lot has been made about this. I, I want to get into some of the scholarship here. A lot has been made about this, including by me. I've done this before, about the particular word that Jesus uses to ask Peter if he loves him. Because if you read it in the English, it just says, Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. But if you read it in the Greek, he's using different words. And, and one of the problems with the English language is when we say, I love you, like if we grow up speaking English, and I think my friends maybe can understand some, they're learning some of the subtleties of English, but if you grow up speaking English, then if I say, I love my wife, you guys are going to understand that as one kind of love, whereas if I say, man, I love pizza, you're not going to think I love pizza the same way I love my wife, right? Like, I love pizza, that's going to be a more of a... Uh, a general agapeo kind of, like, I just, I love pizza, man. It's good. But if I say I love my wife, it's eros love. It's more, um, it's the husband and wife. It's, it's relational love. It's intimate. Eros love. Uh, Jesus uses two different words. Agapeo, which is unconditional love. It's more general. It's, it's like I love you. And then um, he said, Jesus says, do you agapeo me? Do you, do you love me? Do you unconditionally love me? And Peter says, yes, I phileo you. Affectionate love between friends. See, there are two different things going on here. One is, is just, uh, this is, phileo is intimate. If you have a close friend, you would phileo that person. And if you're married, you, it's eros. You understand the difference now? So I've made a lot of, and a lot of people have, actually. Um, do you agapeo me? And Peter says, yes, I phileo you. And so some think that maybe Jesus didn't get the answer he wanted. No, 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 I don't, I don't want to know if you phileo me. Like, do you unconditionally love me? Again, as I've studied through it, I, can't, I don't want to put words in Jesus' mouth. I don't know if that's really what he was trying to do. Because if you read all through John, those two words are used interchangeably. Phileo and agapeo. They, he, use, he can use them. He doesn't 
differentiate where or when he uses those. So I just wonder if it was, um, do you love me like, it, like we have it in the English? Do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. And again, Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter says again, I phileo you. And the third time, Jesus says, do you phileo me? And I'm sure by this time, Peter's like, I've been saying it. Like two times, I told you already, Jesus. Why do you keep asking me? Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? More than these what? What's in the scene? There's fish. Do you love me more than the fish? Do you love me more than the the boats? Do you love me more than the nets? Like, do you love me maybe more than your fisherman job? Or do you love me more than these other disciples? I think that's where Jesus was going with it. Do you love me more than these other disciples? Do you really love me, Peter? Because if you remember, before Jesus was arrested, man, this is so cool. Before Jesus was arrested, Peter said, I will never deny you. And he says, yeah, you will. In fact, tonight you're going to do it three times. No, Jesus, no way. In fact, when they came to get Jesus, he, Peter was like, I got you, man. He pulls a sword and he starts to whack and he cuts the guy's ear off. You remember the story? He's like, look how much I love you. I got you. But then through the night, you guys know the story, three times they said, you know him. No, I don't. The third time they asked him, he, he wanted to be so convincing that he cursed. He was using cuss words like, no, I don't. I don't know this guy trying to be very convincing that he didn't know him. So that was Peter's, read the scripture, that was his last interaction with Jesus until now. I think this whole scene is for Peter. Peter said, he even said this, if you remember, he says, Jesus, before Jesus died, if everybody else falls away, if they all abandon you and leave you, I won't. I'm going to die with you, man. I got you. That's what, that's what Jesus says. Peter says to Jesus, I mean. Like, imagine the bond. And, Peter, and you guys have probably done the same thing. Like, oh, man, I, no, I'm there for you. I love you. I, can I borrow 100 bucks? Oh, no. No. No, that's too much. I'm going to stop you right there. I got 10. But Peter's saying to Jesus, if everybody else falls, Jesus, if, if you have nobody else, I'm with you, man. I got you. That was their, that was their last interaction. G- Peter's saying that, and he's saying, I'll never deny you. And, and then he denies them three times. That's, that's what's in Peter's mind. So no wonder when Peter sees Jesus, he's, oh, man, I get chills. Jesus cares so much about Peter that he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to make an effort here. I'm coming to Peter, and I'm going to give him a chance. We need to make this thing right. And Peter so relishes what Jesus is doing that he sees him, and he's, I can, he probably is crying. Like, I want to cry just thinking about it. Peter's, Peter's like, oh, my goodness, Jesus, he came just for me. I am not waiting on this boat. I can't. I've got to go to Jesus. Man, I love this guy. I'm so sorry, Jesus. Can you imagine what that conversation was? Because Peter gets there before everybody else. I can only imagine that he's standing there in front of Jesus. And he says, I heard them talking about you. They said you were alive. I didn't know if I should believe it or not. But here you are, Jesus. Oh, I'm so sorry. 
This is how much Jesus loves us. That he did that for Peter. See, so Peter and Jesus now are having this conversation in front of the other guys. Jesus, don't embarrass me in front of the guys. I told you, man. The first time he said to Peter, do you love me? He said, yeah, of course I do. If we're speaking in English. The second time he was a little more serious. Jesus, do you love me? Well, I mean, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I, I do, I just said. The third time it says the words that in the Greek, he was literally cut to the heart. That's what it says. He, he was cut to the heart. Essentially, Jesus probed him until he wounded his heart. Jesus pressed in on him until Peter's heart was wounded. Jesus asked him three times to get him to commit. It's, it's not because I think that he doubts Peter's love, but I think he was doubting the earnestness of the love. Okay, so what for us? And, the, and we're in the home stretch here. So what for us? What does this all mean for us? Jesus asked Peter if he loved him three times, and each time, what did he say? Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Jesus, I love you. Okay, take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I mean, I just, didn't you, you heard me, right? I, yeah, feed my sheep. Third time, I can just imagine it was more serious. Peter, do you love me? Hurt his feelings. Yeah, Jesus, I love you. Feed my sheep. I think Jesus is asking us today, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Jesus is calling us to disciple people. It's an interesting thing on love today. And this whole summer, we're going to be all over the place. The, the types of love and how we love and the way we show love and how we can prove love. But here, Jesus makes it so clear. He says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. In this summer of love, as we're talking about love, he's telling us, if we want to show him, we love him. Now, we talked last week, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He says, this is a new command. Now, don't confuse that with this. He's not changing anything here. He's saying, I love you, so you love others. Now, here he's saying, if you want to show me that you love me, this is how you show me your love. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. So today Jesus is asking each one of us, do we love him? Do we really love him? Imagine in your own mind for a minute, Calvary, do you love me? Yeah. Again, Calvary, do you love me? Well, yeah, Jesus. The third time, do you love me? Something in me is going to stir. You know, the powerful message today is that if we love Jesus, then we're going to be in a discipling relationship with somebody else. It's not, it's not me. I'm not saying to you, I think this is what Jesus wants. I'm saying this is what Jesus said. If we want to show him that we love him, Jesus, I love you, so what are you doing? 
I want you to know I believe we're on the cusp of a revival at our church. I really do. As we grow, as people come to know Jesus, as people are sanctified, how will they grow? As more people come to our church, as we have new ministries starting, as we uh, help plant a church, as we have a school starting, all these things are going on. But Jesus is saying to us, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Jesus says that, that by discipling people, we show our love for him. Now, some may say, I don't feel I am worthy to disciple. I would say, if that's where you're at and you don't feel that you've grown to that point, then you need to be in a discipling relationship with somebody, even if you're the one being discipled. But know that Jesus has said it is our duty to, to show him we love him, to disciple other people. He expects that we are going to pursue him with such fervency that we will automatically have what it takes to show other people how to do the same. So in this time of talking about love, I think, how do we show Jesus we love him? Because I, I really do love Jesus. I've got to be discipling somebody. I've just got to be. And again, I'm not just saying, I think maybe this is a good idea. I mean, no matter what interpretation that we have of the scripture we read today, we know at the end he said, if you love me, feed my sheep. And we know that Peter went on and he fed his sheep, man. And traditionally, we even believe, now it's not written in the Bible, but they believe that Peter was crucified upside down because he pursued Jesus so fervently and they couldn't handle it. Even when the law was against him, he still did it. So I don't, this isn't a let's have a hard kind of a day. This is a great day. And Jesus is saying to us today, do you love me? feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Small groups in Sunday school are so important. Having discipling relationships with somebody else, so important. It humbles you. I had a friend one time who would always say to me, uh, he would call me his spiritual son. I was like, what are you, what? I don't. I resisted because you know why? And I'll tell you this. I resisted his discipling of me because I thought, I'm the discipler. I'm the pastor. I'm the, I'll never forget. I was kind of checked on that. Now I'm grateful for this man in my life. You guys have heard me talk about Pastor Bob. Lives off the grid on a mountain in Colorado. It's awesome. <laughs> but, man, that guy speaks a spiritual life into me. I had to let go of my pride and allow myself to be discipled. It's a whole nother thing. I don't want to get off on that. I just want to say, today Jesus is saying, do you love me? Feed my sheep. We need to be being discipled. 
and we need to be discipling somebody else. It's both and. It's not either or. Who are we discipling today? Thank you.